Uh, you could go ahead and have a seat. Um, in 2014, the energy drink company, Red Bull, was sued for their slogan. Does anybody know their slogan? Red Bull gives you winks, right? And so like, uh, it, it had used this slogan for two decades, um, and it made, you know, it was like, hey, Red Bull gives you wings, and it made other claims. Red Bull can improve uh, physical in, um, performance, it can increase um, mental concentration. But a man uh, named Benjamin Carruthers was one of several customers, consumers, uh, that, that regularly bought Red Bull and consumed it, and went to sue uh, Red Bull for false advertising. Um, he, had, he had drinking it for 10 years, and he had said, I have not developed wings. Red Bull has not given me wings, and Red Bull has not increased my intellectual ability. Which we all are thinking, like, no shock there. <laughs> right? And so, so he, he sued it, and then they, they actually had to pay out some money and everything. And they, had, they changed their name, so now if you're like, it's, it's Red Bull gives you wings. You know, and it's three eyes now, but it used to always be one um, because, yeah, Red Bull doesn't actually give you literal wings, but if you have three eyes in it, I don't know exactly what that is. You know, it just, it just sounds like a wing. Um, but, um, but yeah, they were su sued for, for false advertising. And this one probably seems obvious to us, uh, but there's actually quite a few things. That, that have false advertising. False advertising is when, when you expect to find something, it, something is claiming to be a certain thing, but when you get closer to it, when you get up to it, it's like, oh no, it's actually not that way. It's, it's not the way that it claims to be. So, so here, here's one thing that's probably a false advertising thing. Um, yeah, Burger King. Right, here, here's, here's the advertisement. Man, that looks like a luscious burger. And then when you unwrap it, it's like smashed. I like that how it says actual burger. It says most attractive angle. <laughs> now, I'll admit, man, Burger King, those Whoppers are magic. Man, they're so good. But, you know, the, the, yeah, amen. The, um, you know, or, um, or think of real estate. If something says this is a must-see, you probably don't need to see it. <clears throat> this is a real charmer. It's only charming after you've remodeled the entire place. <laughs> or just think, man, that's not what it looked like in the picture. That could be a hotel, it could be a vacation spot, whatever it might be. Or one of my favorites from a movie, because of course I'm preaching, so we're going to mention a movie. But um, it is Elf, you know, where it says, world's greatest cup of coffee. You did it! Congratulations! And he takes his date there and it's like, this is a really crummy cup of coffee. Um, here's a super funny thing. When I was actually Googling this to find out what are some funny examples of false advertising, I, I don't think this was a spoof either. One of them said, 11 funny examples of false advertising. That was the, the website. I click on it and it had one example. <laughs> In the slideshow button, I don't know, but I'm like, that, that's funny. I don't know if that's intentional, but, um, but, but yeah. Um, but companies do this a lot because they want to make their products more appealing. They want to sell more of it, so if we're like, hey, if we make it look better than what it actually is, more people will, will, will get it. And, and, and these are funny 
and everything, and we see it, how it happens with food, or with places, or houses, and all these things, and, and not to just like switch to being too heavy, but I just want, to think of, want you to think about that. Is that something that we kind of actually struggle with in our own life? Even in your life? Maybe this, this kind of thing of like, yeah, there's some false advertising. You, it, it's made to look one way, but then when you get closer, oh man, that's not what it looked like in the picture. I didn't know that was really going on, you know, because we like to put up, hey, let's make it look better than what it actually is. And, and sometimes we, we know what we're doing, but we don't want to risk looking a certain way. Or sometimes we might not even actually know what we're, we're doing it. That we're coming off a certain way. Or sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we kind of know, but we pretend we don't know because we don't really want to know. And so, Jesus, today in this passage, not that he's trying to get us, get us to feel a sense of shame or anything like that, but he does want us to take an honest look at ourselves and evaluate and reflect to see, is that going on in my life? Where in my life might there be kind of this sense of false advertising about it? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 21. Matthew's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back, or you could download uh, the YouVersion app. Um, but Matthew uh, 21, it's in the New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. So, so Jesus, as you're turning there, Jesus, his, him and his disciples, they're, he's intentionally saying, all right, we're going to move from our, our, our ministry in Galilee, kind of more of the countryside, small towns, and they're making their way to Jerusalem, the center of worship, center politically, all of these things for Israel. And because Jesus knows that he is moving towards his death, his crucifixion. And earlier in this chapter, well, there are, yeah, there's the triumphal entry. And many people are hailing Jesus as the Messiah, the coming king. And then Jesus, he goes to the temple and he cleanses it. And he, 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 he drives out those that are buying and selling. Um, you know, they, they made the temple what it, it was meant to be was this house of prayer, a place of worship, honoring to God. And they had made it about commerce. They had made it about convenience. They weren't really there to, to actually really worship God in a, in a real way. But just, hey, can we just have this really convenient, kind of checklist, gimmicky religion? And they pushed out all of the Gentiles because that's where they were um, buying and selling all these things. And so we'll pick it up here in verse 18. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through this passage, uh, break it down, see what, what's all there. And then uh, towards the end, we're going to just see two implications for us. So verse 18. Early in the morning, as, as he was returning to the city, that's Jesus, he was hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the, by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And at once the fig tree withered. All right, so this, I mean, let's just be honest. So you kind of read this and you're like, whoa, this feels kind of a little out of character for Jesus. I mean, gosh, poor, poor fig tree. Jesus is like that. You know, and it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like, you know, it says Jesus was hungry. It's like, man, do you need a Snickers? Jesus, <laughs> man, this is, this is crazy. You know, are you hangry? And so, um... So the time of year is about April, and, and typically you don't pick the fruit from a fig tree until about June. But before that, at, at the, the kind of life cycle of a fig tree is this, is that 
once there's leaves on the tree, fruit has, has appeared too. Now, it might not be as tasty it is in June, but you could pick it and eat it. So the fig tree, when it has leaves, it's kind of saying, I also have fruit. That, that's how, how it would be. And so, so if you're seeing a fig tree out there and it has leaves, you're like, oh, I could go get some fruit off of it. But Jesus gets there and it says in the text that there was nothing on it except leaves. No fruit at all. There should be, but there isn't. The tree should be bearing fruit, but it's, it's just like nothing but leaves. It offered promise, but no fulfillment. Promised fruit, but didn't provide fruit. So it's, it's kind of like this hypocrite tree. I mean, it's, it's like McDonald's where they have an ice cream machine. And you're like, oh, there's ice cream there. No, no, no. Just a machine. And, and, and so this is very similar in the Old Testament to Jeremiah 8 and Micah 7, where, where um, yeah, the, that the, the nation of Israel is like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to you. And what, what it should look like to, to live in covenant faithfulness to God. But there's, there's, you're not living it out. There's no fruit. And, and so it's just similar to even things that we see in this. And so in cursing the fig tree, because of its false advertising, Jesus is kind of doing this symbolic act, kind of like a prophet. Even when he goes to, to cleanse the temple early in chap, chapter, it's like, yes, he's, he is frustrated by it, but it's also this symbolism of what God thinks, of, of even what may, might God might do, and kind of like even showing, hey, there's judgment coming. Because Israel in general, but also its religious leaders, there should be fruit. There should be worship to God. There should be faithfulness to God. But I come to you, and there's nothing. And so it's this symbolic act because of their lack of faith and their hypocrisy. So he curses the fig tree. Verse 20. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed and said, How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to the fig tree, but even tell this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. And so Jesus is, they're like astonished that this happened. And so Jesus explains to them, and this only happens because of faith and in prayer. And he's encouraging the disciples. To have this kind of faith, to trust in God. So earlier in Matthew 17, he, he says kind of a very similar thing, but he says if you have the faith of a mustard seed. So in that passage, it's talking about, well, if you just have a little bit of faith, it doesn't require a lot. A little bit of faith could do a lot of things. Here he's not talking about necessarily how much faith, but he's talking about the object of your faith. Because the, the disciples are going around to different people, and they're noticing, man, there's a lot of people that aren't just totally believing in Jesus. And, and Jesus is saying, man, I know that things are getting, they're tough. They're going to get tough, tougher in the future. But even when things seem difficult, even when things maybe seem impossible, keep your faith, keep your trust on God. And um, then verse 23. So Jesus, he goes to the temple. The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And so Jesus goes back to the temple. And, um, and, uh, and so the, he goes back to the temple, and they're asking this question. All right, well, who's, you, you know, Jesus, we see you. You're here teaching in the temple. Yesterday, you cleansed the temple. 
Who's, how, how, how do you have this authority? You're doing all these things here in the temple, but how did you do that? Because think, the religious leaders, how did they get their authority? They went, they went to all this training. They went to school. They went to rabbi school. All of these things. They worked their way up, and somebody gave them this authority. They went to a lot of training, a lot of things to do this. They were selected. They're rabbis, but when they see Jesus, well, man, you're just this carpenter's son. You're just, you've just been here from, from the country, from small town, Podunk, Nebraska, you know, Galilee. You've been here doing all of these things, and I don't think you have any right to be here and to be doing these things. So what, by what authority are you doing this? The, the, the religious leaders hadn't given him that kind of authority, and so they're kind of asking, like, who do you think you are? And the, the cool thing is, is that we know where Jesus' authority comes from. Matthew has been showing us this, the entire book of the Bible, and the, the, the first chapter is this genealogy showing Jesus really is the Messiah. Jesus is the true king. He's the true Adam. He's the true kind of Israel. He's fulfilling all of these things. In the Old Testament, Matthew has shown it. He has every right, all the authority. Jesus fulfilled this. Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus fulfilled this. At his baptism, or on the Mount of Transfiguration, we hear the voice of God, voice, voice of the Father. This is my son, whom I love and am well pleased. Listen to him. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were astonished because Jesus taught as one who had authority, not like their teachers did. Jesus walked on water. Jesus calmed a storm. Man, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus cast out demons. Even at, at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And so this is a big theme in Matthew that, that Matthew is saying Jesus is from God and he is God. He has the authority to do this. And so, but they're asking him this. And so, hey, who gave you this authority? And Jesus replies with a question. Well, you know, John the Baptist, his baptism, where did that come from? From heaven or from men, from people? Now, Jesus could just say, you know, if they ask him, Jesus, where did your authority come from? Jesus could just say, well, it came from heaven, just like me. Boom. And later on in Matthew 26, Jesus does make it very clear who he is. And then at that moment, Matthew 26, boom, it's straight to the cross. You know, it's like, oh, we've heard him. He's blasphemous. Crucify him. And so Jesus knows that this is not the exact moment that he's, he's destined to, to be put to death. But Jesus' response here is brilliant. By what authority do you do this? And then Jesus says, well, actually, whose authority did John have? John the Baptist. Because the people, or the, the religious leaders, when they're faced with Jesus' question, they're like, okay, if we say that John the Baptist's baptism was from heaven, then the question is, well, why didn't you believe? If it was from heaven, if it was from God, why didn't you believe and repent? That's what John the Baptist was preaching. He was preaching repentance. Well, but if we say, so we can't say that because we didn't repent. We can't say that John the Baptist's baptism came from, from man, from people, because the people like John. 
They, they think that he's a prophet. And they're really showing that they, they really, really care a lot about what the people think. And so the, the religious leaders, they're not caring if they answer the question correctly. I mean, just think, if they answered the questions correctly, that would help them to know where Jesus' authority came from. But, the, but they're only wanting to answer it, not correctly, but cleverly, politically. What really suits them the best, they think. And so the leaders say, well, we don't know where John the Baptist, what it was from, heaven or people. And in this moment, they're kind of admitting they don't know not just how to determine Jesus or John the Baptist's authority, but they don't have the discernment or the authority to discern Jesus's either. Right? I mean, think, if you go to a doctor and there's something, something wrong, you're like, hey, what's wrong with me, doc? Well, I don't know. Huh? We'll find out some, I'm going to go to a different doctor that knows more than you. Because apparently you don't have that kind of authority. You're not able to figure it out. I got to go to somebody else. And that's, that, that's what they're kind of showing in this is like, you don't even know how to know what's from God. You don't, you don't know what's from God or what's not from God. And so in this, the, the, the actually, the, the religious leaders are forfeiting their authority and showing that they don't really have any, that they don't really have any wisdom. And so then Jesus just says, well, you don't, or they say, we don't know. And he says, well, neither will I tell you by what I do these things. Now, just think of what Jesus could say. Sometimes I think it would be really cool if he did things in my not great way. Um, you know, Jesus could just say, well, you know, they could ask, where's your authority from? Heaven. Booyah. And then just do a miracle. Pachow. See that? Fat <laughs> sucker. You know, like, that'd be cool. You'd be like, yeah, you got it. But, but, I mean, the thing is, is they've been rejecting Jesus all along. It doesn't matter in some ways what Jesus is going to say because they're not going to believe it. Earlier in Matthew, they have already, they've been already plotting for chapters that they're going to kill Jesus since Matthew 12. And then Jesus could just say, stop, I'm not going to tell you either. Bye. But then Jesus goes into a story. Because he's wanting, he's not, he, he does still care about these religious leaders, I think. And he's like, hey, I could just not answer your question, but I want you to think. You're not getting this. I still want you to think about these things. And so he, he tells this parable and he starts off with, what do you think? What do you think? A man had two sons. The father goes to the first son, go work. Nah, I don't want to. But then he later goes and obeys. Goes to the second son. Will you go work? Go work today in my vineyard. Yes, sir. But then he doesn't. And then he asks him. Yeah, he comes back to this question. Who, what do you think? Who did what the father wanted? Who obeyed? Who did the will of his father? And they say, well, the first one. And then Jesus says at the end, and the tax collectors and the prostitutes will enter the kingdom before you. I mean, think, Jesus doesn't just say sinners will enter the kingdom before you. I mean, he uses kind of like the notorious sinners, the really bad, the worst. And so in this parable, Jesus is saying, right, the first son is the one who obeyed. The first son is the one who did the will of the father. And the second one, 
said he would, but didn't. Who obeyed? And they say the first. And he's like, the first son, that's who the tax collectors and prostitutes are. You're the second son. See, what, what have we been seeing in Matthew? A lot of the really low people, the kind of notoriously bad people, the ones that have said, oh, we're, we're not following God. We don't believe in God. We're not really following God. It's obvious that they're rebelling against God. But when John the Baptist came, when Jesus came and we were preaching, we see a bunch of them repent. And they, they trust in Jesus. They turn back to God. And so it's like, yeah, they're the ones that ultimately did the will of the Father like the first son. But the ones, you know, like the religious leaders, oh, yeah, 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 we'll do whatever you say, God. But then they're not. And Jesus is saying, you're the second son. And that's why all these notoriously bad people are going to enter before you. And the religious leaders, they were good at, at talking the religious talk, talking the religious game. But they were stubborn and unrepentant. And I mean, think, they, they, they didn't just reject this once, just the message, but they rejected it twice. Because as they're seeing the people repent and turn back to God, they're still not repenting, even in light of that. And so, that, that's just kind of going over the passage, that's what's going over. And just here, here's, so what does this mean for us today? Two, two implications, two observations of how this impacts us, impacts you today. Here's the first thing that we see. Profession without practice. Profession without practice. Let us start at the beginning of chapter 21. You go to the temple. It, 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 it's professing to be a place of worship, professing to be, this is about God. You would expect to be a, to be a house of prayer, but instead it's a den of thieves. They... You, you go to the fig tree. Oh, you're professing fruit. You're showing us that you got, got fruit with your leaves. But you get closer, no, no fruit. Just a leap. The religious leaders, they should recognize Jesus and his authority, but they don't. And then just like the second son, will you do what I tell you to do? Will you go work in my vineyard today? Yes, sir. No problems, sir. And he gives his dad lip service. Yeah, what, I'll do whatever you say. But then a moment later, and then the rest of the day, no, not going to obey, not going. I'll profess that I'm going to believe you. I'll profess that I'm going to follow you, Dad. But I'm not going to put it into practice. And he gave his dad lip service. So we can be like that fig tree. Right? That it's, it should have, it gives the appearance of following God. But you take a closer look and it's really not. We could give the we could we can be that second son. Where we have a profession that we're going to follow, that we're we're professing that we love God, that we're going to obey him. But it can be just like this false advertising. Lip service. Faith, but no fruit. This is what Ezekiel 30 says. Sorry, verse 30 says, as for you. Son of man, your people are talking together about you by the walls and the doors of the houses, saying to each other, come and hear the message that comes from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but <clears throat> they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you're nothing more than one who sings 
love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well for they hear your words but do not put them into practice professing acting but not putting it into practice I mean Matthew's quoted this a few times from Isaiah they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they pretend to love me pretend to worship pretend to love Christ but don't I think we can all get into that space right where we kind of like we're we're kind of putting on a show of, of Christianity of being alive in God I mean I, I know like a few several years ago one of the things that I would do is that I would confess something that was pretty little so that I wouldn't have to address what was going on pretty big sin in my life so I gave the appearance of being repentant I gave the appearance of being honest but instead I was hiding Why? we get into this place where we're like that second son we become like the tree profession but no practice why do we do that what's going on a little bit more internally that moves us that direction I think one of the things is that we don't we don't recognize his authority or we just don't recognize the authority of God the religious leaders they didn't recognize Jesus authority and they they couldn't recognize Jesus's authority because they were holding on to theirs any time you are so about holding on to your own authority you will not recognize the authority of God because you just want things to be the way that you want them to be you think that you're the ultimate one in charge of your life <coughs> the ultimate one that determines right from wrong good or bad what is best for you anytime that you're holding on to your authority you won't recognize the rightful good better authority and God's and, and, and you'll drift into being that professing without practice you'll drift into just false advertising you might not even recognize it because you think well I know better second reason that we drift into just this profession without practice I think is just apathy right maybe we don't even recognize it but we but in some ways we kind of like yeah we know we know what it's what's right we know what God is calling us to do we know what he's commanded us to do but we kind of don't care and I would say that, like that, in my opinion, I think that's the biggest threat to Christianity. I don't think it's policies. I don't think it's the big, bad, scary world out there. I think the biggest threat to Christianity is apathy of Christians. Where you just, you might know Jesus, but you don't, you don't really care. I mean, think the second son, the, 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 the second son, he, he hears what his dad wants him to do. Yes, sir. I go sir but he doesn't go doesn't care doesn't actually do it versus the first son regretted it the first son ended up like but I care who my dad is I care about what my dad wanted me to, to do Ephesians 4 19 says that they indulged in sinful action sinful practice because they lost their sensitivity to it 
One translation says because of their spiritual apathy. And, and I know this is kind of heavy, right? So you're not like, wow, that was the most encouraging message ever. But, but, the, but even Jesus takes the time to press into these, these people that know the word, these religious leaders, right? He tells them this story, and, and he's, he's, he's pressing into us today just to reflect, just to stop and, man, am I kind of like that fig tree? In what ways am I like the second son? That maybe I acknowledge God, I acknowledge what you said, but I'm just not doing it. I'm kind of putting on a show. I have some false advertising, some profession of Christ, but not much practice. Maybe you're not really recognizing Jesus' authority. Maybe you've let apathy just kind of settle in. What areas of your life are inconsistent? Maybe you've gotten used to it. And Jesus' encouragement to us is like, don't be okay with that. Don't be okay with false advertising. Don't be okay with just getting into to, to like living that way. And I get it. We're, we're all the second son at times. But what this passage shows us is like, okay, yes, reflect about where you're at. But what do we do? This is the second thing. Respond with repentance. Respond with repentance. What, what is repentance? Repentance is, is turning to Christ. Verse 29. Look, just, just look at it. If you like to mark in your Bible, underline, circle this. Verse, verse 29. The first one said, I don't want to. But later, underline, circle, highlight. He changed his mind and went. He recognized, like, like right, he, he's, he is rebelling, but then there's this regret. Man, I, I, I don't feel good about the action that I did. He recognizes who his father is. He recognizes his, his love, his care for his father. He recognizes his father's authority. And then he goes and does what it is. Repentance is, is that, is recognizing your sin. Recognizing not just your action, but maybe it's a way of thinking that isn't honoring to God. Maybe it's just a way that you're kind of like a heart posture, that your heart is not put, placing God at the center of your life. You're, you're kind of turning away from Him in worship and affections, in, in allegiance. And you turn away from that and you turn to Christ, recognizing who He is, what He has done for you. That he is rightful authority. Remembering his goodness. That he is the source of life. And even just turning to Christ and remembering who he's made you. In him. That first son had, that, had a change of heart. He repented. And so how do you need to be kind of like that first son? Have a change of heart. What's something that you need to repent of today? Not, not, not just next week, not, not tomorrow, but remember the father went to his son and said, I want you to go work in the vineyard today, now. And the son had a change of heart and went and did it that day. What's something you need to repent of today? I mean, for you, maybe you're like, you know what, maybe you haven't trusted in Jesus as your savior. 
Maybe you're kind of like what he mentions in, later in the passage. You're, you're like, man, I'm, I'm kind of like one of these prostitutes or tax collectors or sinners, and I don't know Christ. And even though those people were considered the worst of the worst, they entered the kingdom of God not because they were good, but because they trusted in the goodness of God, what Christ had done for them. And if you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, don't, don't be thinking you need to clean yourself up. Don't be thinking like, man, I just need to go to church more, and then I'll do it. If you want to know Christ, trust in Christ today that He died on the cross for your sins, that He paid the price for you. And it's not about trusting in Jesus and you being good. It is by grace that we are saved. Something that we cannot earn, that we cannot deserve. We are, we are made right with God, not because we are right, but because Jesus was right for us completely. And so maybe for repentance to you today is just turning to Christ as your Savior and starting a relationship with Him and trusting in the gift that He has given us. Maybe, maybe you're like, you know what, I have trusted in Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. What do you need to repent of today? Maybe you've gotten used to some hypocrisy in your life. Some of the false advertising. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're like, you know what? I am putting myself as the authority of my life and I need to repent of that. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's just kind of like not living a life of generosity, but you're just like, man, I'm so insecure when it comes to finances, and I just want to make sure I could control everything. Man, I want my life to be generous to God and what He's about. Maybe it's just practicing some self-control. Maybe it's just like, man, I'm just kind of, I just get, I just kind of stray into drinking too much. Maybe, maybe it's just like you're straying into something that you're of what you're looking at that is stirring lust in you and you've kind of allowed it, you kind of dabbled with it and it's just like, man, you just need to repent. I know it's not a one and done, but it's just like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to repent today. Maybe it's looking to other things for your identity, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's, maybe it's just like repenting of, of being spiritually lazy, never practicing hospitality or actually being on mission to a lost and dying world and sharing the gospel, pursuing people in relationship, and you're just like, no, I've been just cool staying in my bubble. Maybe you just need to repent of that. I mean, James 1 says, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. The next chapter says, what good is it? James just asked this question, what good is it to have faith but not works? I mean, you kind of just hear it. It's like, well, I guess it's no good to have faith but not live it out, to have a profession but not practice it. What good is that? Well, it's, it's not a lot of good. But, but here's the thing. That's like Jesus didn't create you for that. Jesus didn't create you to have a profession without practice. Jesus created you new. I mean, just like that fig tree, the purpose of the fig tree was to bear fruit. The purpose of the temple was to worship God. And the purpose of your life is that, is to be a reflection of Christ, to enjoy Him, to know Him. 
to, to, to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. To live a life that reflects who Christ is. I mean, in 1 Peter it says, we are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of God. That's what you're created for. That's what you're saved for. And yes, we can be like the second son. Maybe it's sometimes, maybe it's a lot. But we can repent. And repentance is not just swapping one behavior for another. Or if that's all it is, repentance isn't that big of a deal. Repentance is good news. And this is why repentance is so good. Because repentance, just like we said earlier, is turning to Jesus. That's why it's so good. You're turning away from, from the false living, from the false lies, from the false mindset. And you're turning to Christ. In Jeremiah 2, it says, God says, my people have forsaken me. Him, the spring, the fountain of living water. And they've dug cisterns for themselves that can't hold any water and they're leaking all over the place. Repentance is good news is because you're turning away from those things that can't hold any water, can't hold any life. They leak and they just continue to empty over and over again every time. And you're turning away from those things and you're turning to the fountain of living water in Christ. The source of love, the source of life. The, the purpose of your life. Turning to Him, to knowing Him, the height, depth, and the width of the love of Christ. This is good news. We're turning to Him. But we, we're sometimes all like that fig tree, right? But the good news is that Jesus, the, 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 the fig tree didn't have fruit and was cursed, but Jesus did have fruit, but he took on our curse. We can be like that second son, disobedient, not doing what, what God has called us to do, but Jesus was the fully obedient son, and he died for the disobedient, for us, for you, and for me, so that we could become children of God. We repent so that, yes, that he could change us, but we're turning to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you, Lord, so much that, um, yeah, that this is, I don't know, this is, this is kind of heavy, this is hard in some ways, Lord, to just think through of, man, where's there maybe hypocrisy in my life, where is there just things that are not of you, Lord, but, but the good news, Lord, is that, that we're not trapped in our sin, we're not trapped in our shame. Lord, but that you have come for us and that, that you give us the strength, that you encourage us, that you want us to come to you in our mess, in our sin, in our <clears throat> hypocrisy even. And to come to you, Lord, not because we've got it all figured out, not because we're just all of a sudden living perfectly right, Lord, but that you want us to turn to you, the one who died for us, the one who rose for us, Lord, so that we might come to the fountain of living water and know you and be and repent and be restored be healed so lord give us the strength to do that today we ask this in your name amen